So if you're in Matthew chapter 12, if you could turn to the ninth verse, Matthew 12, verse 9, we're going to be looking at five verses this morning. And this is a continuation of a little bit of what was going on last week. Last week, we saw something very interesting. We saw that Jesus, he did something amazing on a Sabbath day. He was speaking about the importance of the Sabbath day, not just being a day for the Jewish person. The Sabbath day was very important and they had all these rules. Last week, I talked about some of the rules and how ridiculous some of them were for the disciples. They were walking through a wheat field and all of a sudden the Pharisees jump out of the wheat field and go, aha, we caught you. And what they caught the disciples doing by their interpretation of the law was that they were threshing wheat. Threshing wheat, what were they doing? They take out their tools and start like cutting down the wheat? No, no, they were simply walking through a wheat field, grabbed some wheat, rubbed it between their hands, and then chewed on the kernel. And the Pharisees jumped out and said, you're threshing wheat. You're doing work on the Sabbath. You're breaking God's law. And the irony is that God was in the flesh walking with them, Jesus. And so then Jesus gave them a lesson on what it actually means and what the purpose of the Sabbath was. And we talked about one of the, I mean, here's a real ridiculous one. I mean, even for a modern Jew, one who's very religious, you know how uh, potatoes, not potatoes, peanuts, peanuts can have like that really thin skin on them. You know, after you crack them out of the shell, they kind of have that little, that annoying skin that gets stuck in your teeth. You know that, right? So what do you do with that? You kind of do that and you blow it off. You can't do that if you're a Jew on the Sabbath day. You can't blow the skin off of the peanuts. You can't. And that's like one of so many of these like, are you serious? And you had to keep track of all of these rules and laws. The problem is people thought that it was God that said that these were all these rules and laws. No, it was the religious leaders of the time. And so they began to write down these human traditions and human customs. And people were burdened under all of these things. Last Sunday, we saw that we don't have a Sabbath day. Well, Jim, it's Sunday. This is our Sabbath day. We don't have a Sabbath day. We have a Sabbath God. Here's what I mean. Well, I, get, I rest on the Sabbath. We're not called to rest on a day. We're called to rest in a person. The Christian has a Sabbath God, not a Sabbath day. Wait, that means that I can find rest on any day of the week? Exactly. Yep, Monday morning, you can find rest in God because your Sabbath is in God. And God also told us, Jesus made it clear that the Sabbath was not, the Sabbath was made for man. It was for us that God created it. It wasn't made, we weren't made for it. We weren't made to be a slave to it. It was made to be a blessing for us so that we could rest in our creator, in God. And I talked about a word for our church for this year, and it's that word Sabbath, that we would not go from Sunday to Sunday going, I hope I can make it to Sunday, man. This week is so crazy. You have a Sabbath God. You can seek God on any day of the week. You can find rest in him on any day of the week. And so that's what we were looking at last week. And now this week, Jesus is going to take what he said and he's going to put it into practice. And he's going to show people what that actually looks like. But before we get to that, I want to tell you this story. I, was, I found myself about 10 years ago sitting on a plane in JFK. It was a really large plane and it was getting ready to take a flight from New York to Dubai. So it was going to be a long, long flight. It was like one of those like, you know, 15, 16 hour flights. And so it's like, okay. The thing is, it was a snowstorm. And so as I was sitting on the plane, it was one of the first planes that, um, that had like the full, that I'd been on that had the full blown, like, you know, 80 channels of TV and like the, you know, it had the screen on the back of the, the chair in front of you, but it also had cameras. So you can look at like the tail of the airplane or look directly under the plane or look at, I was like, for some people that's too much information. Like they don't want that for me, a com aviation computer science major in college. I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. Will you take a look at that? You know? And so I'm like looking at all that stuff and watching what's going on outside the plane. And so something happened on that plane while I was sitting there getting ready to take off. And what happened, a most unlikely thing, I started to watch reality TV. Here's what happened. There was a two-hour delay. We're sitting there, they're de-icing the wings, and then it's just dumping snow. And so they're like, sorry. So I'm like, okay, this 14, 15, 16-hour flight is going to be an extra two or however many hours long because we're sitting there. And as we're sitting there, well, I wasn't going anywhere. And so I'm like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, well, 
all right, well, let's see what's on the screen here. And I was like, oh, and I was kind of looking through these shows, and they had a couple of them. There's one show, it was from the, the UK, and it was called Undercover Boss. And I thought, this was about 10 years ago, so I was like, I never even heard of it. I'm like, well, I'm interested. So I watched it, and I watched like two hours of Undercover Boss while sitting in a plane that wasn't even flying. And uh, like I had, I ran the whole range of emotions. The reason I was going on this flight was to fly to India to be with my dad, who was in the hospital, most likely going to die, who, as far as I knew, didn't know the Lord. So I had a lot of things on my mind as I was getting ready to go. So I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, all right, we'll get to that when we get to that. I got a long flight, and I'm just sitting there. So I'm starting to watch reality TV, and I don't normally do this, right? And so I watched it, and I ran the range of emotions. I don't know if it was because of me thinking about what was going to go on with my dad. I was like watching the show, and I'm like, so what happens is a boss, CEO of a company, dresses up as an employee. And the way that it was, at least initially, was that a camera crew would follow him around. You kind of go, how are they going to get away with a camera crew? Because they would say, this is like a new employee and we're doing um, like a, a TV special or a series on or a training video on what it's like for a new employee in our company. So that's kind of the idea of why the, everybody else would be like, oh, cool, right, we'll ignore the five cameras that are around here or whatever. And so it's a CEO that's there. So the CEO or the owner gets to look inside his or her company in a way that maybe they've never seen before. And he gets to see the employees for how they really are. So it's not like, oh, hi, sir. Hi, ma'am. Oh, look, the boss is here. Let's put on our best face. It was the let's put on our real face. And some of the things, like I went the whole range of emotions of like, you know, you see like the, the mom that's like just trying to make the ends meet and like the, the not getting paid adequately for the task that she's doing. And you have the boss, the CEO, actually trying to do the task and fumbling it going, this is way harder. We're making our people do this? Like not knowing. And seeing the heartbreak of the some of the CEOs as they're watching what their their own employees are going through, and I'm just like, that's right. You take care. You take care of her. You make sure that I'm sitting on this plane. Right? And then there's other times where, like in the same kind of show, in different episodes, you get these employees that are like, yeah, oh, hey, new guy. You know what? That, our boss is such a jerk. Oh, really? And I'm like, ooh, you're gonna, ooh, you're gonna get it. Ooh, ooh. And then afterwards, it's like, you know, oh, hey, you've been called in by the boss. And they're like, oh, okay, that's kind of weird. And they go and sit down, and all of a sudden, it's the person that was working by them in their clothes with disguise, sitting like usually in a suit or a nice, you know, business attire behind a desk and going, hi, would you be seated? And from that, you can go, oh, you're, I knew something was different about, huh. And, you know, for the ones, and you see, like, the boss sometimes go, I saw what you're going through. I want to take care of you and your family. I want to help you with this. We're making some changes in your department. And just to go, and I'm like, yeah, yes, it's working. And then the other ones where it's like, hey, listen. And I was interested to see how some of these bosses would handle the critics. And, you know, sometimes it's just like, just fire them, right? But you got to see some, depending on the circumstance, of course, that would just be like, listen, you had some grievances against me. And I'm going to take some of those to heart. You do need to work on how you talk about people, though. You know, and it's just, it was, as I'm watching episode after episode of this, what in the world does that have to do with what we're talking about today? I thought about this in the years since that binge watching of Undercover Boss, which I haven't watched since, honestly. It's just, you know, two hours that day. Was that I thought, what would it be like to look at Jesus as coming down to this earth as the Undercover Boss? But for him, he doesn't need to know anything for his information. He already knows all the hearts and the issues and the circumstances of everybody he's going to interact with. So it's not for his benefit that he's coming down. It's for the benefit of all of those that he's coming to. And so that they would see that he walks with them and talks with them and cares for them and suffers with them and understands what they're going through. What would happen if Jesus showed up today? But yet we didn't recognize him as Jesus. How would we treat him? What would we say to him? Would we say anything to him? So the title of this morning's message is The King Goes Undercover. We're going to look at Matthew 12, 19, 9 through 14. So let's pray and we'll jump right into verse 9. Papa, we come before you thankful that you did come to earth. You sent your son here for us. Not for your benefit, but for our benefit. You bridged the gap that we couldn't bridge ourselves. You had to come to us. We couldn't get to you. We pray this morning as your word is open, 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through me so that we would understand where we are in this story. And I pray, Lord, that if we need to be convicted by this story, myself included, that we would absolutely be convicted so that we might make a change in our life. We pray, God, that you would do your divine and beautiful work in each of our lives, making us more and more like your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Let's uh, take a look here. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, these are the religious people asking Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? They weren't asking Jesus for information. They weren't asking so that they could, you know, go, oh, that's really wise what you've said. No, they asked him because they wanted to find something on him. They wanted to find some dirt on him so they could accuse him. Um, this gospel in Matthew, as well as another gospel, it, if you read the passage, it appears as if the wheat field scene happened and then this happened immediately afterwards. But one of the gospels is very clear and shares with us that this happened on the next Sabbath. So there was like a week of time of Jesus sharing about the Sabbath and a week goes by and then Jesus shows up in the synagogue here and this man is presented to him or there is a man right there. You know, um, Jesus enters the synagogue and I was thinking about this idea. I was thinking about this idea of Jesus coming into a church. I really was thinking about that. I was thinking about the idea of, you know, Jesus coming into Telios Christian Fellowship. Oh, I know Jesus because he's got the halo, the glow around him and the angelic as he walks in. He's most likely uh, some lighter Caucasian color. Um, and um, he definitely would have long hair because that's what all the, the movies have, right? So um, the thing with Jesus, when he came in his time, he came and he didn't stand out in and of his appearance himself. There was nothing remarkable, remarkable about his appearance. And I think that's why the Bible doesn't go, well, his nose was this many inches long and his hair was auburn and down to shoulder length with slight cur- I, you know, we love making idols. And I think if there was actually a physical description of Jesus, we as humans, let's not put it past us. Oh, if I'm really holy, I'm going to actually look more like Jesus. I think that's the reason why the Bible doesn't give us a physical description of Jesus, because that's not the point. And I believe if Jesus, when Jesus showed up here, there's nothing about him visually that was remarkable. So I thought about this. What if Jesus showed up at our church today? You wouldn't be able to pick him out by how he looked. You wouldn't. He would look like everybody else. Would we recognize him by what he said and how he spoke? Would we recognize him by his attitude? Would we look at him with an idea already of how we would interact with him? Again, these Pharisees and scribes, they had a, di- a certain purpose. When Jesus walked in, they had a purpose on what they wanted to do. They already had determined it in their heart. Luke chapter 6, parallel passage, Luke chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. And the scribes and Pharisees, a little more description here, watched him. They're intentively watching him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. Oh, that's a good thing. No, no, keep going. So that they might find a reason to accuse him. And look at this. And he knew their thoughts. Jesus knows where people are. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. You know, I thought about this. Would Jesus be welcome at our church? And again, I thought the question and I answered it for myself. But I think we should answer it. I don't think we should simply just say, oh, of course he would. Why? Why would he feel welcome at our church? I have reasons as to why I think he would feel welcome at our church. You know, one of my reasons as to why is you guys are such a loving group of people. Our greeting times are the times where some of you, like you understand you have friends here. And it's so easy to just talk to your friends. But for you to make a point to go, who here do I not know? And who here will I choose to go reach out to just to say hi to because they matter? Now, does every single person here do that? No. Does an amazing percentage of people here do that? Yes. Does it make a difference? Yep, absolutely does. See, if Jesus came in here, he wouldn't be one of the people that have always been around. Would somebody say hi to him? Would somebody make the effort to go out and welcome him? 
And I believe that we would. Now, that to say, oh, good, pastor said that we would, so I'm glad I don't have to do that. No, you, no. We can, it's an ongoing thing. It's not a one-time, one-Sunday thing. The other thing I was thinking about is, you know, if Jesus came here, would he find the word being taught? Now, while I could say, well, yes, we make an effort to teach the word and to do it in a way that brings understanding to the hearer. That isn't the case in all churches. If Jesus came into this church, would he see us loving one another? Because Jesus is like, that's how the world will know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have one for another. Would he see us loving one another? Or would he see us going, oh, I see that person over there that has a grudge or an issue and an unforgiving heart, and they're not willing to do that. Again, Jesus walks into a church. It almost sounds like the beginning of a joke. One day Jesus walked into a church. Except in this passage, it's not a joke. It actually happened. Jesus walked into a synagogue. And for the Jew, that was their place of worship. That's where they came together. If they couldn't go to the temple, they would go to the nearest synagogue. The interesting thing about the synagogue, though, and this is a key word, and only Matthew makes, puts this in here. And it's such a key and important word. In verse number nine, if you look at it again, he went on from there, meaning, you know, after the wheat field and that incident there, he went on from there and entered, look at the next word, their synagogue. Oh, who's there? There? The people who jumped out of the wheat field and said, ha, 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 you're breaking God's law. And then Jesus schools them with God's word. And then later, um, the next Sabbath, Jesus shows up at whose synagogue? Their synagogue. Oh, could you imagine talking about, okay, here's God and he's walked into church and all of a sudden they start asking Jesus these questions and it's a bunch of, is it questions? Is it lawful? Is it right? Should it be done? The question was, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus had already shared about the Sabbath earlier, but now they take it specifically and go, what about healing? Okay, fine. You can take kernels of grain and you can do that and you can eat it. Fine, whatever. But is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? This is not the first, this is not the last time that they're going to ask the is it questions. Here's a few other is it questions. In Matthew 19, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Another time in Matthew 22, they ask another is it question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So Jesus is going to hear this type of question again and again and again. And in response to their question, Jesus says something very specific. Look at verse number 11. And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? And that's a very simple question. It's in response to their question. And Jews talk like this. You say a question, I'll, I'll respond with a question. And the answer to my question answers your question. And you may go, that's kind of frustrating. But that is how they have talked. And also, that is how they talk now. And this question here that Jesus is saying is one where it's not we would look at it and maybe you'd look at it and go, oh, poor sheep, poor little sheep. He's down in a pit. It's the Sabbath day. I'm not supposed to do work. We talked about it last week. You're not supposed to lift anything more than the weight of two dried figs because <laughs> that was considered work. Not by God, but by, again, man's customs and traditions as they made it up. Well, there's a sheep down there in the pit. Oh, I just love my sheep. I'm going to pick it up out of the pit. That's not how the Jew would look at it. He's talking to these men. For them, the sheep equaled money. They're going, those are some shekels down there in the pit. And those shekels are going to die if I don't do something about it. It's the Sabbath. Normally, I would not do this. But for this situation, and then go save it. So Jesus is saying on the Sabbath, if your sheep was in a pit, wouldn't you rescue it? And the answer is obviously yes. That is the answer to the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? The answer is yes, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus doesn't just stop with the question. He then makes a statement. Verse 12. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. See, to not show mercy and to not show compassion is against the law of God. 
these religious leaders said, you know what, we're going to follow the law and the law says this, but their interpretation of the law was off. And so what they started to do was, you know what, we have to choose between the law and mercy. And you know what Jesus said? The law doesn't speak against showing mercy and compassion. But on what day of the week? On any day of the week. This morning, I want to let you know, you are free by God to show mercy and compassion to anyone on any day of the week. Well, I'm going to do it extra special on Sunday. You should do it extra special on every day. For the Pharisees, their idea of, well, we don't do that on this day. It was their excuse to not show mercy and compassion. Sorry, it's a rule. Can't do it. Now, the rabbinical teaching about the Sabbath day, the way that they would, would, would speak about this, they said you're not supposed to do things on the Sabbath day unless it, re- it was regarding saving a life, a human life, unless it had something to do with saving a human life. And we, we touched on this last week. Medically, you could do something to stabilize a patient, but you couldn't do anything to continue to bring healing into their life or encourage healing. You'd have to wait till the next day if they made it. Now, if it came down to certain things like a woman in, that's pregnant, baby's coming, it's a Sabbath, guess what they would do? They would deliver the baby. It's about a human life. And so Jesus is not saying something new to them. He's going, this person, this, his hand is withered. And the they, our Pharisees would argue, well, yeah, but his life is not at risk. And that's where they would go. They go, we're not going to show mercy and compassion to this person. Why? Because his life is not at risk. Of course, he's wounded. He's hurting. And in fact, he's even in our own church. Now, Jesus came onto their home turf. Jesus went into their synagogue and Jesus walks in and he's about to do something amazing that they themselves couldn't do. Jesus is about to show, listen, you in your own place, your synagogue, you are so revered by these people. And yet you are so ineffective to help this man here. And in fact, you're ineffective because your heart is hard against God. Your heart is hard against showing mercy and compassion. I want to share a a story with you. And this is in Luke chapter 13. You'll see this on the screen. This is a story of, again, Jesus showing up at church. Different story, though. Luke 13, verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now, the reason she was bent over was there was a demonic spirit in her. Now, verse number 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. And at this point, we're just going, Jesus does it again. But wouldn't you know it? There's some religious folk around. Next verse, verse 14. But the, re- the ruler of the synagogue was indignant, angry. What? Because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. This woman, 18 years, bent over because of a spirit that had come upon her for 18 years. Jesus heals her and the ruler of the synagogue is going, I cannot believe you healed her of all days. On today. And it just shows you how off. And now here is the logic that the ruler of the synagogue is going to use. And this was not uncommon. Look at it. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days to be healed and not on the Sabbath day. You want God to do a work in your heart? That's great. But not on that day. God's not open on that day. No, you know what's not open on that day? Your heart's not open on that day. But you know what? Your heart's not actually open on any day. The Lord answered him, uh, and I love it. Jesus just, boy, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on a Sabbath untie his donkey or ox, ox or donkey from the manger and lead it to water? You know, your animal's thirsty. On the Sabbath day, don't you walk your donkey or, or ox over? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, his adversaries were put to shame, as they should feel. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. 
You see what happens when we start to follow the rules that we have made ourselves. I'm not talking about what God has spoken about in his scripture. I mean, we miss the whole point of God's word, either because we don't read God's word or because we have misinterpreted it. And so we miss the whole heart of God. The ruler of this Jewish synagogue missed the point. And Jesus came in and said, isn't it? What's wrong about healing this woman on the Sabbath day? You know, this this attitude of the this rule following and how that all worked. This is this is what Jesus was dealing with, with the people. You know, some people take religious observance very seriously. Have you noticed that even in our world today? They take religious observance very seriously. They themselves may not have a relationship with God, but they're like, you know what? We always do this. It's Christmas Eve. We go to church. Why? It's a tradition. It's Easter. It's Easter Sunday. We go to church and then we go out for lunch or breakfast afterwards. And that's what we do. Your grandma comes over. We have our family thing. It's what we do. What's Easter all about? It's about having a good day and the bunnies and the Easter eggs and the kids and beautiful Easter dresses. And that's what Easter is. So it's all about externals and and missing the whole point. People can take religious observance very, very seriously. A a religious Jew would rather die than work on the Sabbath. Oh, come on. That's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, um, you know, hyperbole, right? A bit of exaggeration, wouldn't you say? So Antiochus Epiphanes decided to attack the Jews. And this was in a time period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Before Jesus came, but after the writings of the, the prophets in the Old Testament. And in that intertestamental period there, Antiochus Epiphanes attacks the Jews and they were hiding in caves. And the thing is, it, guess what day of the week Antiochus Epiphanes decided to attack the Jews? On the Sabbath, on Saturday. Why? Because he knew that the religious Jew would rather die than didn't defend himself. And what happened? That's exactly what happened. Many Jews died. They were unwilling to defend themselves. Or their families. In um, 63 AD, a Roman ruler named Pompey took Jerusalem. And he took Jerusalem on which day? It was a long, drawn-out process. But the day that the event came where they actually came and stormed in, the day that they went in, guess what day it was? Sabbath. Why? Because they're like, these guys are such rule followers. They have no practical sense. They will stick to their own rules to their death rather than realize, um, I think our God would make the exception on this, or at least maybe I'm missing the point of why God would say this. And so Pompey took Jerusalem. Very few Romans died in the siege of Jerusalem. 12,000 Jews died because they would not defend themselves. This is what Jesus is dealing with. People who have taken their religious observance so seriously that it no longer makes sense in the real world. It no longer applies or is practical to day-to-day life. What I love about Christianity is it is practical. It works in the real world. It works when you walk outside of these doors. So they read the scriptures and they made rules, but they missed the whole heart of God. And I think for each of us, this is what it should show us. We have an, there's such an importance for each one of us individually to know God's word. Because if you don't know God's word, how do you know that the, the way that you live your life is not just your own rulemaking? How do you know that? How do you know that? If you don't know what God has said, how do you know that the way you're living your life isn't just a bunch of rules that you've either made up yourself or you've seen popular culture go a certain way and you're like, well, that seems good. It may seem good or not seem good. The question is, what does God say? If you don't know God's word, you are absolutely set up to start making your own man-made rules and finding yourself like these Pharisees. For the Pharisees, it was all about the appearances. And for Jesus, it's all about the heart. You know, the interesting thing is Jesus on these two different Sabbath days here, one with the woman with the uh, bent over back because of the demon and the other one because of this man with the withered hand. In both of these situations here, Jesus uses animals as an illustration to show that humans are worth more than animals. 
in both of these. Jesus, the creator of you and I, says, aren't people worth more than animals? And I have this question in my notes here. Do you value people? For some, it's just really easy to just go, oh, Jim, you're, 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 you're getting on touchy ground here. I love my pets. I get it. I get it. But here's the problem. Some of you love your pets more than you love people. And at that point, I'm going to make something very clear that Jesus made very clear. People are worth more than pets. If you have an issue with that, I just read two separate passages of Jesus going, aren't people worth more than oxen and donkey and sheep? Wait, wait, wait. I got a question, though. Which people are worth more than pets? (laughs) And I think you know the answer to that. All people are worth more than pets. All people, including that one that you are so angry at or you're so frustrated with or you wish you'd never see again, even that person is worth more than an animal. Jesus is accusing the religious leaders of getting their priority wrong. You know, we live in a culture, we live in a world that can get that priority wrong. Where we would do so much for our pets, but we would look over someone who's suffering that we can help. And then we would hear the words of Jesus going, aren't they worth more than your pet? Again, God's not saying that you don't care about your animals. Absolutely not. That's not the issue. But you must make sure your priorities are correct. You know, um, in Hinduism, Hinduism has this overarching statement, which is that all life is sacred. So they won't destroy an insect or kill a rat that's eating the grain. They'll give cows grain. I've seen this many times in India while a person's sitting right next to a very fat calf that's sitting in the middle of the uh, or a cow that's sitting in the middle of the road that's blocking the cars. The cow cannot be made to move. The people are worth less than the animal. The people must go around the animal. Meanwhile, there's people standing right next to or sitting and begging right next to that are starving. You know, in Hinduism, there's this practice that's called sati. And I have some pictures of this. Sati is the ritual burning of widows. The ritual burning of widows. So that when a husband dies, it is it is brings closure to the marriage. It brings closure to the marriage where the wife would willingly then, remember, this is a religion that says all life is sacred. Uh, So when the husband dies, the wife then, to bring this closure, would voluntarily throw herself on the funeral pyre and get immolated, burned up. Now, if there were any children involved, She wouldn't be expected to do that. But if she was a widow, here's the reason why. You're really not a use to our society. You're just taking up space. Got no way to provide for yourself. So you might as well just go with your husband. And this would happen in lots of different, not even just lower castes and lower um, statutes in their structure, their caste system, but over in, even in the higher ones. There's a picture here of one of the um, forts in, that we had gone to in India. And see these handprints here? These are handprints, handprints of princesses and queens who threw themselves onto the funeral pyre after their husbands died. Each of those hands is another person, generation after generation after generation. You know what it took? It took the British in India going, you know, this is not right. They're like, it's our, here it is, tradition. This is what we do. Get it, but it's not right. And what was happening is what they were seeing, you know, it would be great to go, okay, well, these women, they all, every single one of them very honorably threw themselves on. If they wouldn't do it, guess what would happen? People would help them. Until that became the norm. Oh, your husband has died and you have no children? You're going to die today. Just because something is a tradition doesn't mean something is right. And I'm going to take that even one more step. Just because something is legal doesn't mean that it's right. I'm going to give you this example. 1857, Dred Scott 
Supreme Court ruling. And in this Supreme Court ruling, part of the statement was this. Here's the quote, quote, a Negro whose ancestors were imported into the United States and sold as slaves, whether enslaved uh, and enslaved, could not be an American citizen and therefore had no standing to sue in federal court. And what Dred Scott was saying was, I want to sue for my freedom. And what they said is, you're not even a human being. Your property, so you can't sue. And since your property, your owners can deal with you how they want. 1857, U.S. Supreme Court. Just because something is legal doesn't mean that it's right. The Civil War was fought partially, not entirely, but partially to overturn this ruling. That black men and women are human beings. And the interesting thing is that decision has never been overturned. Officially, it hasn't been overturned. You know, there's this thought here that Jesus shared. He said that, you know, a sheep in a pit has a better chance than a human being in your synagogues. And you think about that. Jesus is going, don't you see the issue with that? How is it that an animal has a better chance than a human being? But I'm going to take that statement even one further here. A sheep in the pit sometimes has a better chance than this picture right here. The picture of a baby in a womb. And you know what I love about that picture right there? That is an actual image from the womb. That's not CG. Oh, it's just a bunch of cells. No. No. That's a lie. It's not a bunch of cells. It's a human being loved by God. And that human being is worth more than any animal. Just because something is legal doesn't make it right. 1973, Supreme Court landmark decision, Roe versus Wade. Just because something is legal doesn't make it right. We are really good at making up our human laws, traditions, and customs. But if we don't first go, what does God say? How do we know that we're not becoming like Pharisees? A nation that kills its own, how far can it go? A nation that doesn't value life, that goes, that? Oh, is it still in the womb? Well, then it's not technically a human being. Oh, it's been a human being since conception. Jesus says very clearly that human beings are worth more than animals. Look at verse 13. Going back to Matthew's account here, he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out and was restored healthy like the other. And what I love about this man, it was like a child that Jesus used as an illustration. He told the child, come here, and he brought a child, and he just showed, like, if you can be like this child, you can enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like, well, what did, what did the child do? Real simple. Jesus called the child. The child turned and walked towards Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you can humble yourself and actually listen to what I'm saying and come towards me, it will, you will have amazing uh, blessing in your life. This man here heard a command from Jesus, stretch out your hand. The man had a choice, the man with the withered hand. Stretch out my hand. Come on. Like, my hand has been like this for who knows how long, right? He could have. He had the choice. I appreciate your well wishes, but I, I think I'm just going to just deal with my hand being like this. He could have. But what we see here is a man obeying Jesus. Jesus simply calls, and the man stretches out his withered hand, and Jesus heals it. And the thing is... For the most religious, he was breaking their human traditions, the guy with the withered hand. What do you mean? He was asking for some work to be done on the Sabbath for, on his behalf. Don't you know? Don't you dare stretch out your hands. I'm sure he had a moment where he could look at the religious leaders and they're just like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't you dare respond to him. Don't you dare respond to him calling to you. And you need to know this, that in our society, in our world today... When Jesus calls a person, society at large is not going, yay, that's great, go ahead and do that. And generally speaking, mm, yeah, I, mm, mm, mm. you could, but I don't know if I'm going to look at you the same way. You can't let that fear stop you from responding to the Savior. This withered man heard Jesus' voice, heard his command, stretched out his hand in opposition to the human tradition and in opposition to their disapproving 
he said, you know what? I'm going to go with what Jesus is saying rather than what you're saying. And how blessed was this guy? This guy was healed. And what did this man offer Jesus? He offered Jesus so little. What did he offer Jesus? A non-functioning withered hand. Do you realize when Jesus calls you, he's not asking you for a lot. I don't, I got, I don't have a whole lot to give God. All I've got is myself. That's all he's asking for. But it's so little. Jesus does a lot with a little. With a withered hand that is not even functional, Jesus says, that's all I'm asking for. Give me what's non-functional in your life. Give me that withered thing in your life. Give me that thing that's been broken for so long in your life. Stop trying to hold it back, hide it, fix it. Just give it to me and let me work in it. If we obey the command of Jesus, know this, you are going to be going against the culture of this world. And so now Jesus took the principles that we learned in the wheat field and he puts them into practice. I love, I love this. Jesus lives out this faith. He shows this, what it is to be a follower of his. He shows this, this example. And that tells me that we're not just supposed to get our head knowledge here on Sunday mornings and then walk out into the world and go, well, I know what I'm supposed to do and that's good enough. No, no. With what you know to do, you need to act. You must take your faith that you know and put it into practice. Otherwise, you know what's going to happen? It's going to atrophy. And then you become somebody that knows a lot about God, but you're not actually following God. Don't do that. If you have the knowledge of who Christ is and he's spoken to you, just do what he told you to do. You know, the... I've got so many good stories here and I don't have time to share all of them right at this point. So let me... Let me say this. We were looking at verse 13. Okay, let's look at verse number uh, 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Wow, that really shows you their heart. Now, if we use a modern example, Jesus shows up to church. Jesus does an amazing thing at church. And the leaders of the church go, cannot wait to talk to the authorities about how we can kill this guy. Oh, that's a great church. I want to go there. That was what really was happening here. The, the leaders in this church wanted to kill Jesus. How badly? Like, you know, they went from like annoyed, the fact that he had to correct them and took them to the Old Testament and shared the word with them to try to show them a correct understanding of the Sabbath. But now they're just getting more and more angry. In fact, the word fury is going to be mentioned in Luke chapter 11, the parallel passage here, a parallel passage. It says this, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Boy, that's a great after-service conversation, right? You go to some church and all of a sudden, there they are. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Nothing. Nothing. Anyway, so how are we going to kill the guy? Could you imagine? That is a conversation at church. People getting together afterwards talking about how they're going to kill somebody that just was at church. And that's what happened. Do you see what happens when we start to get into this legalistic, my rules, my... It, it takes you far and into a dark place. And not far in a good way. In Mark's uh, account of this, Mark chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Jesus, when he saw their hearts, look at this, Jesus looked around at them, at the religious leaders, with anger. Jesus was angry that they, they were supposed to be the ones giving the example, and they were giving the wrong example. And then look at this, not just was he angry, he was grieved in their hardness of heart. That's the issue. Their hearts had grown hard. They had a position of leadership, but their hearts were like stone. And it grieved Jesus. It grieved the Savior of the world that they would be so hard-hearted. My prayer is that I would never find myself in such a place. And that if I start to move in that direction, that God would make it so clear that I would be so broken that I would do that to God. That I would then return and ask God to soften my heart. I don't know where you stand with people. I mean, if you've been burned by people in this world, the human response is to harden your heart, not to soften it. To do the softening part, your spouse has said something hurtful or mean or your ex or your, your children or your... <sighs> the only way for your heart to become soft is that you go, God, I need help. You give your withered hand of your anger. You give your withered hand of your dysfunctional marriage. You give the withered hand of whatever that is to Jesus who's been asking you for it from the beginning. You finally become obedient to the call of Jesus and you let him have it and you let him do what he's going to do. But as long as you think you're going to fix it, he will let you try to do it in your own strength and you won't be able to do it.
you know, this chapter, this, this story here is a real turning point because this turning point here is where the Jewish leaders are now going to go to these people called the Herodians and they're going to start to come up with a plot to kill Jesus. The king has been, has been just showing how amazing he is, how wonderful he is, and the response that he's getting is, now let's kill him. Going to my original story of the undercover boss, and it, it would be a ridiculous episode, and none of us would be like, what is this? The boss shows up, the boss reveals himself, and then there's an extra episode later where the employees get together and go, so how are we going to kill him? And you just go, that's crazy. Yeah, that's what we're reading here. We're reading the craziness of what sin does to people and that they're not willing to, to kill a man who has done nothing wrong except break their traditions. You know, church, as, as, as this pastor closes this thought here, I want to say this. Um, I don't want us to be a church where we have all the symbols of church without the actual heart of church. Where we have all the symbols of Christianity, I'm not a pastor that's opposed to a cross. We're not going to have a massive cross in this building. We're part of a family of churches called Calvary Chapels. The Calvary Chapel logo, if you will, is a dove. We're not going to have a huge dove in our building. Oh, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit? We totally believe in this Holy Spirit. But I would rather us believe in the Holy Spirit than have a symbol of the Holy Spirit and not believe in the Holy Spirit. I would rather us not have a cross but actually believe in the one who died on the cross. Because you know what the danger is? You have all the symbols around and you go, yeah, we're good. Why are we good? Because we got all the symbols. Meanwhile, your heart has grown hard. These Pharisees in the synagogue, they had all the stuff around that made the outsider go, wow, they got it together. And Jesus, the undercover (laughs) king, comes in and goes, you have missed the whole point. Worship team, you can come on up. It's never accidental, the examples that Jesus uses. And in this passage, remember the example Jesus used. Jesus said, if a sheep falls into a pit, which one of you wouldn't go rescue it, even if it was on the Sabbath day, right? Isn't the sheep worth more? Remember, Jesus doesn't use examples by accident. Jesus didn't come to this world to make you a better person. Jesus came to this world to rescue you. When Jesus gave that example of the sheep, you know what he was saying? He was showing himself and he was showing the religious leaders and everybody. He was saying, I'm the person who's come here and you're the sheep that's at the bottom of the pit. And I am willing, even on the Sabbath, to reach down and rescue you because that's my mission. But the Pharisees, they missed that whole illustration. They missed it. They missed it. They just thought he's talking about how animals aren't as of great value as people are. That's true, but Jesus, even more importantly, was saying, I'm the shepherd who's here to rescue you. And don't you realize that you're the sheep at the bottom of the pit? Don't you realize that you need help? And even if it was the Sabbath, you would wish on any day that you would get help. I'm here to help you on any day of the week. Hey, you're here this morning. I just need to let you know Jesus loves you and he wants to work in your heart. and He absolutely cares about you. There's going to be uh, two, two invitations here. The first one is for salvation. So you have your head bowed, bowed and eyes closed here. This is for the person that isn't a believer. You haven't committed your life to Christ. You've heard the call of Jesus, but you've never responded to him. He's calling you again. He's calling you through this passage of scripture. He's letting you know that you need help. You're at the bottom of a pit and you need help and only he can help you. You have a choice. You have a choice to respond. You have a choice to respond to him and he will work in your life. And not everybody will like it, but it's the right thing to do. If you find yourself in that place this morning, in need of the Savior, you realize that you need a Savior, and you want to accept Jesus into your heart, pray a prayer like this. If you're listening on the radio or internet, same thing. Pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm trapped. I'm stuck. I'm stranded. I can't fix me. Jesus, you say that you can And I need you. Jesus, I'm humbling myself before you and I'm admitting that I'm wrong. That I've wronged you. That I've wronged people. Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of all of my wrongs. All of my sins. Jesus, I believe that you came to this world to save people like me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, change me. 
Jesus, make me more like you. Jesus, help me to follow you every day of my life. Thank you for making me one of your sheep. You have our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you happen to be here telling us, would you just raise your hand just so I could acknowledge it? I see your hand, sir. Is there anyone else? I see your hand and yours. Is there anyone else? I see your hands. God bless you. Father, we pray for those that raise their hands and we pray, Lord, that this would be the beginning of an amazing chapter of their life. It's the chapter that leads from this day to the time they see you face to face where you embrace them and they're finally home and they're in a place where they see the one who gave so much for them. Holy Spirit, we pray that you give them the power to do what they can't do. Thank you, Lord. Now, we are head bowed and eyes closed still. This is for those that you are believers, but you have an issue in your life that it's like that withered hand. You've been trying to fix it. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a, a relationship. Maybe it's you trying to do things in your own strength. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's a legalistic bent within you where you realize it's just, it's taking you in a, in a direction that your heart is getting harder. Maybe that's it. Your heart's getting harder. You realize it. Whatever your withered hand is, you find yourself in a place where you need to call out to God and just say, God, please, I need you to heal this area of my life. If there's anybody like that here, would you please raise your hand so I could pray for you? Okay. You can put your hands down. Father, for each of those two dear people who have those situations, Jesus, you are able, and not just able, you are willing and able to work in their situation. You just need them to submit it to you. And so they're doing that now. We pray, Lord, that if they choose later on to take that back and try to fix it themselves, that you would remind them of what they've done, that they've given it to you. And God, we pray that you would work in each of those situations to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you, church. There'll be a few of us uh, that'll be standing over here. If you'd like some prayer afterwards, we'd love to pray for you, especially if you ask Jesus into your heart. Just come by. We just want to give you a hug and say, God bless you. Um, let's stand and let's sing a closing song to our Lord. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Let your light shine.